Welcome to the River Life Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you will encounter Jesus and allow His words to wash you anew. May He reveal more of who He is to your heart. Here's the message for this week. Good morning, church. You know, it's so good to be back here worshipping the Lord together, right? Now, uh, inspired from Chen Sing's, uh, you know, uh, um, announcements just now, can you turn to the person beside you, look at them, you know, and, and, and can you just ask them, can you go lunch with me later on? <laughs> yeah, just turn around beside you, you know, to your neighbour and say, go lunch with me later on, Ken, all right? But for all the singles over here, if you're not of age, you know, just look at your cell group leader now and say, can you go lunch with me? All right? <laughs> Praise God. You're amazing. We love you, Lord. Now, so church, uh, I hope that you're ready for the word this morning. So one more time, can you just turn to the person beside you, shake them and say, let's get ready for the word today. All right? Yeah. <laughs> so today we are, we are going to continue with the pulpit series on awakening and revivals in the context of the Old Testament, and to glean from Israel's obedience and failures. Um, yeah, and, and what did they do during the seasons of renewal? Um, last week, Pastor Ernie spoke a powerful message on Hannah, and today we will be looking at um, a character called Jehoshaphat and the realities of spiritual warfare. Okay, so why not let's begin to bow our heads and let's uh, quieten down our hearts, let's prepare our hearts uh, for the Word of God today. Father, today we want to thank you we thank you, Lord, that you're here in this place. You're, mo- you're moving among us. Lord, you're touching our hearts today. I thank you, Father, that during the times of worship, Lord, we can connect with you, our hearts to your hearts. And Lord, I pray that as we um, come together to hear your word, a word in season, today, God, I pray that you begin to touch our hearts once again. Renew us, bless us, fill us with your spirit. We thank you, Lord. We bless you. And all this we pray. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people say, Amen, Amen. So lunch is going to be in about, I don't know, uh, 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 an hour's time or something, alright? So uh, today's message is about winning your spiritual battles. And I want to start off by saying this, that there is a real enemy at work against us. And it is for us to stand our ground in this spiritual battle. You know, Paul in Second. Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, he wrote and he said that in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. A real enemy is at work against us today. Now, in the book of James, James wrote this, to resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, I'm so glad that James did not say, ignore the devil. I'm so glad that James did not say, pretend the devil is not there and he will flee from you. But resist, everybody say, resist the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You know, church, spiritual warfare is real. It is not just for the pastors. It is not just for the full-time workers in the house. And it's not just for the missionaries out there that's trying to tear down strongholds and advance the kingdom of God. But there is a real enemy waging war against the children of God, fighting to win the spiritual battle. If I can put it this way, the forces of evil will do everything and anything in its power to render the Christian useless, um, ineffective, powerless, and disconnected with the Father. So the question today is not whether are you in a spiritual battle, 
But the real question really is, are we winning the battle today? So in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul wrote, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So whether we are aware of it or not, whether we believe in the spiritual realm or not, whether we, uh, we like it or not, the enemy and the power of darkness are against us and work against the children of God. Um, there's this preacher, quite, quite a well-known preacher, Tony Evans, he once said this, that when you live life long enough, you will start to realize that life is not a playground, but a battleground. Alright, so I hope I, I've placed spiritual warfare into context. And with that, let us look at the life and the story of King Jehoshaphat that is found in Second Chronicles chapter 20. Let's dive deep into the word today. There's a, um, a number of passages that I want to cover today. Alright, so let's dive deep and let's understand more about the context, the story line that um, God told through the life of Jehoshaphat. Now, we're here to survey the awakenings within the Old Testament. So, um, you know, in Second Chronicles chapter 17 to 20, we read that Jehoshaphat was a godly king. So that's the first thing to note. He was a godly king who reigned over Israel for about 25 years. Now, not only that, but you know, he, not only he was obedient to God, he was not only a godly king, but he did something that no other kings had done before him. So what did he do? Now, in his reign, a spiritual renewal happened as King Jehoshaphat brought the law of the Lord or the word of God back to the people of God. And that was a great renewal, a great renewal for the value, for the love and the obedience towards God's laws. The people began to be obedient to God's word. They trusted in the law and the value for God's law increased among the people. So that is found in Second Chronicles chapter 17, verse 7. And it says that in the third year of his reign, he sent his officials, Ben-Hil, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathaniel, and Micaiah to teach in the towns of Judah. So what did they teach? They taught all throughout Judah, taking with them the book of the law of the Lord. And they went to, around to all the towns of Judah and taught the people. So the word of the Lord began to be so ingrained in the lives of the people of Judah. The value and the love for the word, for the laws of the Lord, increased. And now you have a people who are obedient and submitted to God's word. And when that happened, God is going to bless. Amen? God is going to bless people who are, um, uh, you know, like, like the psalmist says, um, that I have hidden your word in my heart. And God is going to bless when you've got a people who are thriving, who are listening to the word and are living their life according to His laws. So, um, a renewal was taking place, and it was at that very moment in doing that renewal, a warfare broke out against Judah. Alright, in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. Now, so how, how do we know? Because 
chapter 17 all the way to chapter 19, with, uh, we, we hear about you know, Jehoshaphat sending his people out, telling his leaders to govern with the word of the Lord, the law of the Lord, that every decision you make, you've got to use the laws and, and, and to govern your people that way. Now, straight away in chapter 20, verse 1, it says, After this, after what? After Jehoshaphat had brought the law of the Lord back to the people of God, the Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the Munanites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Right after the law was given to the people, after the knowledge um, of you know, after the knowledge and the love and the value for God's laws increased in the land, renewal was taking place. A national crisis broke out against them when war came. Now, spiritual warfare intensifies when the people of God are awakened to heaven's agendas. Amen? Now, so, uh, you, you, you may ask, Pastor, how, how does it relate to us? For us, it could be in very simple ways. We heard Ben's um, testimony just now that when he decided to come for prayer meetings 20, for the 21 days, suddenly um, things happen. Or it could be, you know, your child falls sick each time you try to serve God in church or for a backslidden Christian that finally decides to come back to church um, after a number of years. And not only that, but to attend cell group as well. And all the cell group leaders say, Amen. Praise the Lord. All right. Now, but you know, and, and, and I'm pretty sure we, we have experienced this time and time over and over again, that after, on the very day of cell group, suddenly issues crop up, right? Issues crop up at home or at work. And the backslidden Christian just can't attend cell group or church that day. So, just to bring it closer to home in real life. So, when real life, we decide to go on a 21-day fast to push out in renewal and revival. Now, the question is, will the spiritual battle and resistance increase or decrease? Increase, right? So, you have an enemy that is at work against you. He is not for you. He will not do anything good for us. But He will do everything in His power to render us ineffective and disconnected from God our Father. So it is with this in mind, let us read um, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1 to 9. Let me read this for you. And it says that after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Mennonites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazanon, Tamar. Alam, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hands and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? What a powerful word there. Abraham called a friend of God. 
Then they lived in it and built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes on us, whether the sword of judgment or plagues or famine, we will stand here in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear and save us. You will hear and save us. So church, today I want to talk about three principles of spiritual warfare. Um, what do we do when we face difficult, challenging situations in our workplace, in our family, in our personal life? What do we do when we face an intense season of spiritual battles and warfare? Here in Second Chronicles chapter 20, we see three principles of warfare, spiritual warfare that we can learn and glean from. So are you guys ready? Yes? Okay. So if you guys are ready, you know, first principle of spiritual warfare. And it is the call to pray from the position of God's promise and presence. Ah, you know, uh, Pastor, this one I know already, you know, it is so easy. Yeah, but, you know, allow me to dive in deeper with this word today. Because it is the call to pray from the position of God's presence and promise. So let's look at verse 2 and verse 3 for a while. And it says here in Second Chronicles that some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army. Everybody say vast army. Praise God. A vast army. Now, can, can we just think for a moment here? Just how big was this army? You know, in this battle, um, and according to the history books, uh, that records for us, Judah was vastly, I mean, they were way outnumbered in numbers. John, I, I heard a sermon by John Albert about 16 years ago, all right? And, and, and he shared that, you know, um, um, the, the enemy's army that were coming against Judah, they, they outnumbered Judah, all right? It was nearly like Bambi versus Goliath. Now, how, how, how many of you have watched the show Bambi before? Yes? Oh my goodness. Sensing at least have, lah, correct? Yeah, I have, okay. Are they young? No, you only study law lah, since young. <laughs> okay, different, different, different league. All right? Yeah. So, it, it's, it, Bambi is a deer, okay, by the way. Yeah, versus Goliath. And, and apparently, I was Googling it last night. It was actually a, a, you know, a shock clip on it as well. And John O'Book was saying it was nearly like Bambi versus Goliath. Now, I did a short count, a quick count, in Second Chronicles chapter 17. Judah... King Jehoshaphat's army had at least 1.1 million fighting men. That on its own is amazing, okay? They, they are a big army. So they had at least 1.1 million fighting men. So if the enemy's army, you know, way outnumbered them, and let's just say that it was twice the size of the fighting men, it would mean that Judah would come up against 2.2 million men. Can you just imagine having 2 million fighting men already prepared for battle, coming up at your doorsteps. And if the army was three times the size of Judah's own army, it would be, uh, they would be up against three million fighting men. So let's continue on in verse 2 and 3. Let me read this for you again. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army of two million or three million soldiers is coming against you from Edom. And from the other side of the Dead Sea, alarmed, shocked, worried, concerned, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. 
Church, in the midst of battle, there is a call to pray from the position of God's presence and His promise. Jehoshaphat was facing a great army. I mean, at least two million fighting men against him. And the Bible wrote that upon receiving the news, he was shocked. He was alarmed. He was afraid. And we all would be, right? But I love Jehoshaphat's, how he responded to the national crisis. I mean, this is not just a storybook. This is a real war. People will die. Children will die. And of course, over the last two weeks, war has really taken on a new meaning for us as well. People are going to get slaughtered. They are going to get killed. But I love how Jehoshaphat responded through the national crisis. And his first response was not to mobilize his army for war. His first response was not to call the generals and the commanders to come for a meeting to devise a defensive battle plan. Verse 3 wrote that he was afraid. Alam, Jehoshaphat resolved. Everybody say resolved. Resolved to inquire of the Lord and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. Now, how many of us will know that in a preparation for war, you will not starve your army, right? Yes. You will want to feed them so they got energy to fight. Judah, you know, Jehoshaphat just attempted to starve his army by calling them to fast. In a battlefield, the element of surprise is important. But instead of being swift to try to devise a battle plan uh, to take the enemy by surprise, Judah did, uh, sorry, Jehoshaphat did neither of this. He went to the prayer room. Can you imagine this? He went straight to the prayer room and he called his people to fast. Now, Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat wasn't just praying. He wasn't just crying out in desperation and in fear. But Jehoshaphat prayed from a position of God's power and presence and promise. How do we know this? Now, can I highlight to you that a prayer that King Jehoshaphat made in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 4 to 9 that we just read, greatly resembles the prayer made four generations ago before that by King Solomon in 2 Chronicles chapter 6 when Solomon dedicated the temple to God. So let's read, I'm just going to give a snippet of, a snippet of Jehoshaphat's prayer that is found in verse 9. And it says that Jehoshaphat came to the prayer room and he began to say, God, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in the presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear and save us. Just four generations earlier, the Lord had given King Solomon a promise as he dedicated the temple towards God. So let's look back at 2 Chronicles chapter 6, sorry, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, where God promised Solomon a vow. And God said this, Solomon, when I shut the heavens so that, no, so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land and to send a plague among my people. And of course, this is a famous passage we always use. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. But if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face 
and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now, God's eyes, my eyes will be open, my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Everybody say this place. In this place. Now, where is this place? Jehoshaphat is now standing at a temple in this place. So, four generations after Solomon, there is a great war that's going to come upon them. People are going to get slaughtered. People are going to die. Two million fighting men. Three million fighting men against Judah. And Jehoshaphat stood at the very temple where God had promised King Solomon that his presence will be there and that God will be attentive to their prayers in this place. Jehoshaphat prayed from a position of God's promise and presence. Somebody say amen. You know, church, in a spiritual battle, in a spiritual warfare, if you're going through a tough time, sometimes it is so hard to know what to pray for. And it, it is in moments like this, we come into the presence of God and we pray from the position of God's promise and God's presence. Amen. So that is the first principle of spiritual warfare. And that is to pray from, the, from God's presence and promise. And the second principle of spiritual warfare is this. There is a call to stand firm in the spiritual battle. You know, Isaiah once said this, that if you do not stand firm in your faith, you do not stand at all. And I'm so sure for Jehoshaphat and his people, it, it is so easy to just run away, right? When you hear of a coming war, you want to stock up food, you want to run and hide. I mean, for their people, it was so easy to surrender and to make themselves as subjects to their enemies. It was so easy to lose all hope and be absolutely paralyzed by the situation. In a spiritual battle that we will face as Christians today, I mean, it is so easy to give up and become discouraged. It is so easy for Ben, as he shared just now, to just give up and say, God, I will not go for prayer meeting anymore. Whenever you want to step up and become a cell group leader, something happens at your workplace. And, 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 you, and you just come before God and say, God, I've been trying, but you know what, God, I give up. It is so easy to lose sight of God in the midst of chaos and utter mess. It is so easy to walk away in a spiritual battle. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, it says that through the Spirit of the living God, a man from among the assembly, where they gathered together, the whole Judah gathered, a man from the assembly stood up and he began to say, Stand firm. Everybody say, Stand firm. That's right, Stand firm. Come on, I say again, Stand firm and take up your positions. In the midst of a great battle, in the midst of intense spiritual warfare, in verse 17, the Spirit of the Lord said, Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And I, and I love this. Go out to face them tomorrow. It is not just stand firm, take your positions, but go out and face them tomorrow. Go out and face your greatest 
fear. It is not about running away. Get out there and face them tomorrow. Is there any one of us here who is experiencing severe spiritual attacks from the evil one? Is there any one of us here who is under the fire of the enemy, facing a battle against the schemes of the devil, against the spiritual warfare, against the principalities and against the powers of darkness in this place? You know, three times in Ephesians chapter 6, we've been told to stand firm. Stand firm and hold your position as a child of the living God. Stand firm with the breastplate of righteousness. Stand firm with the belt of truth. Stand firm with the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. And when you stand firm, allow praise to be your battle cry. So let, let's look at verse 21 and 22. You know, King Jehoshaphat and his people, they obeyed the voice of God in verse 17. And they chose to take their position and they stood firm. And now... The day has arrived, they are going to the battleground to face their enemies. So let's look at verse 21 now. And it says that after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord. Everybody say sing. Sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness. And as they went out at the head of the army. Now this is so interesting because Jehoshaphat didn't send his snipers at the front. He didn't send his strong mighty fighting men to the head of the army. But he sent the Real Life Worship team out. Amen? Yes? He sent his best singers out. And as they went out, they said, Give thanks to the Lord for His love endures forever. And as they began to sing, uh, sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men who were invading Judah and they were defeated. Man, you know, church, I've got to tell you this. This was a real physical war. This wasn't just a storybook. It is a real war. People will die. But Jehoshaphat chose to believe in God. He chose to go to his prayer room. The Spirit of the Lord spoke to them. And they went out. Jehoshaphat sent out his singers to sing praises to God. They allowed praise to be their battle cry. Praise became their spiritual weapon. And in challenging times, you know, I, I guess we all can relate to this. In challenging times, um, it is so hard to praise God, right? It is so hard to look to God and say, God, you are good. We love you. Your, your, your name lasts forever. It is so hard to praise the Lord. But Jehoshaphat and the people praised and God gave them victory. You know, I want to say this, that precious is, uh, um, worship is so precious, because worship is the only thing that you can give to God that He has not first given you. And when you stand in a place of spiritual battle, when you stand in a place where you're under the fire of the enemy and you start to praise, God is going to work on your behalf. Somebody say amen. Now, for, just for a couple of moments, I want to share about you know, the power of praise. So what, what, so what praise really do? You know, um, can I just offer two uh, two things about praise. Number one, first of all, praise fixes our eyes on God. Have you ever tried that? That when you praise God, I mean you really cry out and praise. Um, part of the scripture of Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20, when the man prays, actually there's a whole word there, they praise very loudly. All right? And when you come to the presence of God and when you praise God, 
Can you still look at your situation? Can you still look around you at your warfare and what is going on? Praise fixes our eyes on God alone. Praise shifts our attentions to Him. So that's the first thing about praise. The second one is praise declares to the heavenlies and the surrounding warfare who God is, what He has promised to do, and how faithful God is as well. I mean, it shifts the heavenlies. It shifts the physical and the supernatural realm as God is declared sovereign and as God is declared king over your warfare. Amen? You know, uh, I just want to share something that happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, um, so about five weeks ago, I, I, I was preaching here and it was our mission Sunday, correct? Um, um, I, I had a back-to-back trip and in between was a mission Sunday. So I came back from Vietnam um, and then the mission Sunday, which I preach, and then the very next day I had to leave for Thailand for another mission trip. Now it's not a mission story, okay? It's really a local Singapore thing that that I experienced. So I came back from Vietnam and I was a bit tired. Uh, we rushed through, you know, get things organized, get get it prepared, the the, the missions message prepared, and that, that was about a month, five weeks ago. Now I was to preach. I was scheduled to preach on Sunday. And on Saturday, um, I came to church early because my message was half done, all right? Uh, it wasn't complete at all. Um, I can't imagine preachers, um, like, you know, um, they complete their message three weeks in advance, like, oh my goodness, you guys are good, man, all right? So um, it was half done, and I rushed to church that day, and I began to, you know, and, and the third floor office, it was empty that morning, Sunday, Saturday morning. I came and I quickly set up my things, laptop, iPad. I wanted to type. And just as I was about to type, I felt the Lord speak to my heart and say, Joachim, you have been busy. You have been really busy. Will you spend 30 minutes with me? And I said, God, you say and you're like, I can say, no, man. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding, okay? But I was like, oh, God, yes, I can spend 30 minutes with you. And so that was what I did. Thank God the office was not, you know, that there was no one there. All right? And I began to pray and I said, God, I want to pray. I want to praise your name. I want to worship you again. I do not just want to pray so that I can produce something, but I want to worship. And I came before the Lord in the office, in the third floor, empty office, and I begin to pray. I begin to worship. For 30 minutes, I just begin to worship God. Now, um, this is a whole different story on its own. Um, on that Saturday morning, and for about a month, I was carrying an injury on my leg. For those of you who do not know. For the church staff team, they would have seen me limping a little bit like this. Um, on the weekdays, all right, Sunday a little bit better, like I can move a bit more, all right? But on the weekdays, it will be something like this for a whole, a whole entire month. Now, do I pray for healing over my foot? Of course, nearly every day I pray for healing, all right? Just for one whole month. Now, why, why did I get an injury, all right? Because um, earlier this year, I have one of my kids who took an interest to running, jogging, all right? And, you know, I, I see him run and I thought, okay, might not be a good daddy as well, you know, and start to jog with him, all right? So I've not been jogging on a regular basis for 
five, eight years now, all right? And I said, okay, let's jog. So, you know, but he was quite fast, lah, huh? Yeah, he's quite fast. And all the time I'm chasing after him. I mean, he's really young, but I'm chasing after him. And it, it got to a point where, where after some runs, I felt that there was a really bad pain at the back of my ankle, or at, at, at the back of my heel, really bad pain. But you know, you know, being, being soldiers, right? You know, being army guys and all that. Yeah, uh, no pain, no gain, correct? Right? So, wow, pain, uh, never mind. You know, just run some more. Run until there's no more pain. So I kept running, 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 running every day, run. And try to chase after my son who is really fast, all right? And, uh, and do secret trainings at night some more so that the next day I can show him that, you know, I'm improving, all right? Um, and, and it got to a point where after every run, my ankles would be so painful that in some mornings, it, it, it would feel like, you know, my, my heel was going to burst, you know, like those kind of things. Yeah, so it was really painful. I was limping. So right there on a Saturday morning, when God said, will you spend 30 minutes with me in prayer? I was praying before the Lord, worshipping. Now, it hit about 20 minutes. When Sunday, I... I began to ask God, God, I, I looked up to God and I said, God, did you just heal my foot? Because before then, I couldn't even stand on one leg. I couldn't bend. I couldn't even uh, tiptoe. I couldn't move around. And suddenly I was walking this way and I said, God, what just happened? In that 20 minutes of prayer, did you just heal my foot? That is what Praise does. Stand firm and praise. And maybe perhaps for some of us today, there's some of us who are facing an injury, you're facing a really huge spiritual battle. Allow praise to be your battle cry. Somebody say amen. Now, I want to go deeper with this whole thing. Can I do that? Yeah, because it is, the call is to stand firm in the spiritual battle. And there is one thing that I really want to share with you about spiritual warfare. And it is the whole area of strongholds. I know Pastor Lino will share a lot more about that uh, next week. But, you know, uh, when we talk about battle cry, when we talk about spiritual battles, uh, there is one area that we need to know, and that is strongholds. Because in order to be effective in spiritual battles and warfare, we must never allow the devil to have a stronghold in our lives. Some may say amen. Because in a warfare... The enemy seeks to gain a foothold in our life, a stronghold. And in a battleground, the stronghold is the place where the enemy can regroup and start and launch new attacks as well. So for the Christians, the enemy seeks to gain a stronghold in our hearts, in our lives. Um, a place in our lives that he can devise the most damage, he can create the most uh, um, um, destruction in our lives, and he seeks to gain that stronghold. So two strongholds that I want to share with you today that is found in Jehoshaphat's time. Number one, the stronghold of fear. Because fear paralyzes people. Fear causes us to remain under the grip of the enemy. If an enemy can intimidate you, he controls you. And if Jehoshaphat and Judah became fearful, the enemy would have gained such a stronghold in their lives and the battle would have been lost straight away. And that is why God said that do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, go and face your greatest fear tomorrow. 
the stronghold of fear, there's a second stronghold that I want to just briefly talk about, and it is a stronghold of defilement. In every spiritual battle that we have, that we face, and the question is not whether we have a spiritual battle, the question is, are you winning a spiritual battle? In every spiritual warfare, we can't fight nor pray if there is defilement in our lives. If Judah had allowed themselves to be defiled, if Judah have allowed themselves to, to worship false idols, worship false gods, if they committed adultery, if they, co- they committed fornication, the enemy would have a powerful stronghold in their lives and it would have rendered them powerless in battle. The presence of God would lift them. The covering and the protection of God would lift as well. And we cannot win a spiritual battle if we have allowed defilement of sin into our lives. Have our eyes been defiled? Have our hearts and our spirit been defiled? Have our lips and our tongues, our mouth been defiled? We must never allow Satan and the devil to have a stronghold in our lives. So three principles of spiritual warfare. Number one is to pray from the position of God's presence and promise. Number two, it is a call to stand firm in spiritual battle. And number three, it is the call to trust in God's deliverance and timing. I'm just going to share two verses here. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15, it says, This is what the Lord says to you, Jehoshaphat. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast 2 million or 3 million strong fighting army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Can you turn to a person beside you and say, the battle is not yours, but God's. That's right, come on. All right, with all confidence from the word, turn to the person beside you and say, the battle is not yours, but God's alone. How I love this. And in verse 22, it says that as they began to sing, and praise. The Lord set ambush against the man, and they were defeated. Church, there is a call to trust in God's deliverance and timing. Amen. You know, sometimes it's not about you fighting. Sometimes it's not about you trying to, to solve solutions and challenges on your own. The battle is not yours, but God's. Amen. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I just want to share with you one final story and then yeah, uh, we'll, we'll pray for each other. People who are facing a real severe spiritual battle in our lives today. Um, this happened about, I think, just three weeks ago. So the last five, six weeks has been quite eventful for me, right? All right so about three weeks ago, um, something happened in, in, in my family. Um, um, nothing major, nothing serious, but um, it really took us took a lot out of me and my wife. Um, so there was, I, I, I just came back from Thailand from a mission trip. And it was a weekend. So we took the kids out. You know, they have their swimming class and all. Now by Sunday night, my wife realized that my daughter, her temperature was a bit high. You know, you feel a bit warm. So she, uh, we took the temperature and we, uh, she realized that my daughter had high fever. Like, you know, just out of blues, no symptoms, no nothing. Oh, 39 point something. All right, so faster go and sleep. The next day, um, my wife got the kids ready. 
um, for, for school. She worked both boys up. And before that, she, uh, you know, uh, uh, women, they're amazing, right? I mean, dads would never even think about taking temperatures in the morning, correct? Yeah, but my wife decided to take that temperature. Yeah, and she took the temperature and both boys had high fever too. It is the first time in our parenthood life I had all three kids down with high fever. I mean, if one get a high fever, it's fine, right? I mean, it happens. You eat the wrong food or something happened. You caught a virus from a friend. Share food, lah, you see, you know, yeah. And it happened. Eat too much chocolate, uh, stuff like that. But my wife has a game plan for it, all right? She'll tell them, you cannot eat chocolate because you will get cough. And then after she'll say, yeah, but now you got cough, so you cannot eat chocolate. No chocolates in their life at all. <laughs> all right, smart, uh, my wife. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and, but all three kids, first time in my life, within a span of about 12 hours or so, all three kids were down with high fever. And I knew that it perhaps is a spiritual battle because no other symptoms, they were not vomiting, you know, they, they were not doing anything else. They just had high fever, 39 degrees. At times they reached 40 and of course, being, you know, uh, um, I would take spiritual authority. I prayed for them. I, I cast out the fever. I cast out the virus. I cast out the cough. Everything you, I try to cast out also. All right. Yeah. And, and I prayed like that for four straight days. But do you know what? For seven days, they had high fever. And man, I tell you, it turned our world upside down. Trying to manage three kids with high fever checking their temperatures in the middle of the night, sponging them, you know, just to make sure that temperatures don't go so high. And I was like, God, this is not working out. You know, I just came back from a trip. I'm tired and there's a new trip to look forward to. Uh, my, my wife is absolutely, you know, burnt out with all the work in front of her. And so what's going to happen now? Now, I was going to lead Sunday service uh, um, as a service pastor. So I was supposed to do announcements, you know, stuff like that. And on, by Saturday night, I was really tired out. I was saying, God, it's been, going on, it's been going on for six straight days. Our kids having fever. It doesn't seem like it's going to stop. I'm tired. I, I really felt like just calling and saying, can anybody take over me for Sunday? But, you know, so it's okay to, even for pastors to come to Sunday services, being a little bit weak and broken as well, Right? So I came to the Lord on Sunday, on Saturday night, before I prepared for Sunday, and I said, God, when will this end? It doesn't seem like the fevers are going to stop. They're still experiencing high fevers, and God, when will this end? And I felt at that very moment, the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, tomorrow, the fever will break. And I said, God, thank you. Thank you, Lord. So I went on to prepare the next day. Um, cut a long story short, the next day, by evening time, two of my kids, they still had fever. Mid-range fevers, but it made it worse because one of my, uh, uh, my, my second son, actually during dinner time, he told me, Dad, you know, can I, after dinner, can I go and sleep straight away? I'm just not feeling well. And then it was at that very moment, I, I told myself, I think I heard the voice of God wrongly. And it's okay to hear God's voice wrong, right? As in, we all try our best to hear the voice of God. We try our best to, to, to listen and, and we act by faith. And 
So at that very moment, I knew that perhaps I heard the voice of God wrong, and we took the kids, got them to bed, and they were still having fever that day, that night. And I did something that all good fathers would do, or pastors would do. When they were sleeping, I turned on the TV, I watched soccer. I mean, it's been a long day, lah, huh? so I turned the TV and watched soccer. And then Arsenal draw, drew that game, all right? Last few minutes, Pong go in, equalize, uh, then draw. Well, I felt the spiritual warfare really come hard, you know. Like, it was really, the devil was really pounding at me that night. You know? I was like, oh God. Now, after that, that the battle on the TV, all right, I, I, I went to, to, to check on my kids. And I went to my, kid, my, my son's room. And um, just, just to check before I go to sleep. And I, I, I touched him and I realized that his bed and his shirt was wet. And I realized that he was breaking a cold sweat, which means his fever has broken. And I tested him, you know, just take his temperature. It was 36.8. No more fever. Amen. Now, so, then, wow. But you know what? I, I didn't dare tell my wife. You know why? Because, you know, all wives are real. Do you change your shirt or not? <laughs> How am I supposed to know I must change shirt? <laughs> I thought no fever, just go and sleep already, right? <laughs> so, so, and, and then I, I went to, to the other room, to, to my girl's room, and I checked her temperature. I, I touched her and she felt normal, and I took her temperature. The fever broke that day. Amen. Come on, let's give God praise. Amen. No, there was nothing about me trying to pray for my kids anymore. There was nothing about me trying to fast, trying to, to, to get deliverance. But you know what? I learned a very important lesson that day. Trust in God's deliverance. Trust in the timing of God. When after you have done all you could have done, and nothing still happens, are we able to trust and say, God, I will wait for your timing. The battle is not yours. The battle belongs to God. Thank you for listening to the River Life Podcast. We hope that you've encountered Jesus through the Word. If you'd like to connect with community or find out more about River Life Church, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or head on over to riverlife.org.sg. God bless and have a great week ahead.